Hello, everyone. Welcome to a turn of events. I have not done this in forever. It's been so long. We've been super slammed this year, which has been great. But I'm excited to be back here. If anyone wants to be on the live show, we also turn this into a podcast. Would love to have you. We help uh, small businesses, entrepreneurs. Um, we help put a positive spin on the future of their business. So if you've got something you want to share for business owners or small businesses, love to have you. Please reach out to me and my team and uh, I want to get you on the show because I want to book some people up here. We're going to start doing this again. So my name is Annette Nafe. I'm the CEO and creative director of Nafe Productions. We are a strategic event production company. Um, we're in New York City and we are now in Florida as well. So we have lots of great things going on. We specialize in corporate, social, nonprofit, and a little bit of wedding, um, but we do pretty much everything uh, from A to Z and to help you out. I also have a Facebook group for wedding and event planners. If you are looking to start your own wedding or event business, please join us over there. We have over 2,000 people in there, just wedding and event planners. I love my vendors but it's only for wedding event planners and I'm helping uh, get your businesses started. We're gonna be doing a really great workshop next year. I'm putting it all together and you won't wanna miss it. So join us over at the Event Planner Society. It's a Facebook group, Event Planner Society. Would love to have you. Okay, so we, today we are going to talk about multi-sided platform management. And I have a super special guest, Stephanie LaFlora, alongside her business partner and longtime friend, Ryan. Stephanie has spent the last decade building multi-sided platforms and working with partners to develop new business models using her background in data-driven product development and strategy. To that end, Crown Hunt is a digital marketplace for textured hair built to help existing hair entrepreneurs reach the 65% of the population with textured hair and to get their products, services, and education to the right people more effectively. And I know a little bit about hair over here. So <laughs> let's join us with Stephanie. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I know. It's and you to be here uh, with you in my happy place, which is what this room kind of is. For me. Yeah, that looks really awesome. I'm in uh, the dining room here. It kind of sometimes people think that I'm sitting in a bed, but it's not. It's a it's a fake. <laughs> it's a, a banquette. Yeah, so I'm just excited to have you and to do this. Uh, you know, you, it's been a while since I've been on here, but um, love to learn more about what you're doing. Uh, why don't you first tell us just a little bit? I mean, that was a little bit of a, you know, intro there, but tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. So, um, crown hunt was really born out of the hunt for my crown. So I, uh, had moved to a new city and I was looking to get my hair styled and I went to, you know, five or six different salons. And when I got there, they were, um, apologetic, but saying that they could not actually <laughs> style my hair. Yeah. And um, I had actually never had that happen to me before, um, but they said they could not style my hair because my hair, not in this state, but is in its natural state is a, a coily Afro. And so mm -hmm. I was looking for a wash and blow dry and they were not trained on how to do that. And so with my background being in tech 
and in um, creating products and solving problems quickly. I saw that immediately as a big opportunity to create something um, that would not only empower these stylists to be able to style hair like mine, but also to make sure that people with hair textures like mine could actually go to any salon and get their hair styled, which I think is um, pretty important. So uh, that's how Crown Hunt was essentially born. And it's been yeah. an absolute blast. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Okay. So um, what's it like to quit your job to start a business during a pandemic while pregnant? I can only imagine. I mean, I had my business. So I've had my business for 12 years, almost 13 years now. And basically as an event company, you know, everything shut down during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have kind of started over. I was not pregnant. However, I can only imagine what that's like. So tell me about that. You know, um, I don't know if I would recommend it, <laughs> but I will say that it's something that I did without regret and I will never regret it. I'll always say that this year, um, 2022 is a year that I will never want to relive, but so happy that I did everything that I did. It's just as an investment year, I think, really. Yeah. Um, and so what led to all of that happening? I mean, it really wasn't planned for me to do all those things at the same time, but you know, when you decide that you are on a mission to do something and you understand your why, uh, it's, it's difficult for that to be broken. You know, it's just like one of those things where um, once I set my mind that I was going to accomplish this goal, anything that came along with that was just what came along with it. I always say that I'm not the author of time. Yeah. And as a person who is uh, very goal-driven and uh, creative and innovative, it can feel like, oh, I can manufacture things. And it's like, you can have a goal, but you're not the author of time. So you don't know exactly when things are going to happen or how they're going to happen or what unknown things will happen. And so I'm really glad that I, that I did that. I went through an accelerator with, uh, with my daughter in my belly. Uh, she was born four months ago. What's her name? Her name is Zoe. Zoe, that's sweet. That's very sweet. Well, congratulations. Thank yeah, you. I mean, you can't plan. Certainly none of us plan for, you know, COVID and all of that that happened. Right. And I, you know, I've been a live event producer for, you know, over 30 years, a very long time. And I, virtual wasn't really, you know, we did an aspect of virtual. So we right. would have, do a live event and then we would have um, a stream, some sort of streaming at the event for people who couldn't attend. And that was very few times did we did that, but some of our clients wanted that. But when you became a full virtual company, boy, that was a big eye opener. I mean, I had to literally figure out how to really, what was the production side of that? You know, I had to like, so what is my role as a full, full production virtual producer, you know? So nice. it was tricky, but we figured it out. And uh, most of our clients now are not, uh, they're doing some live streaming, but not uh, as much. So we're back to live, which is crazy. Everybody wants you know, they're doing, they're going berserk now with events. So it's, sure. it's kind of the other extreme. So, all right. So what advice would you give to entrepreneurs considering the same leap? Um, I think that, you know, something I always say, and it's sassy because I'm sassy. Yes. Is, um, you know, entrepreneurship is grown folks business. Yes. It is for the mature. It, it is, is humbling. It is not about you. It can't be. If it's really just about you, you won't get far enough. It has to be about something bigger than you. And once it is, then you can, uh, you know, 
get the discipline and, and the strength to do that. I think for me, there were many, many years actually where I had this same dr- dr- um, dream and I had the same vision and I didn't do it. And yeah. I remember I have good friends who are very successful entrepreneurs um, and I remember sitting with them and asking them, like, what is it that, you know, like, I'm just like trying to unlock the secret. The thing is, like, stuff that's in your mind and your heart before it manifests or before you do the work to get there. A lot of times it feels mystical right. and it feels like you just have no idea what the what how could you possibly get there, even though you can see it. And I can honestly say now, if I were to talk to myself in that in that season when that felt that way. That the real difference was one to not try to do it alone, mm. which is a thing that you can do. That's like kind of self-sabotage. You're trying to protect your ego. You're trying to move, you know, without everybody knowing that you're actually betting on something. Um, and then I think the second thing was really understanding what your alternatives are. And when you realize that what you are going after is what you want more than all those other alternatives, then it's very clear. Um, so those were huge game changers uh, for me when I realized that. And it took a lot of time. It took a lot of just like d- digging in deep and asking myself, why do I want this and what the other options are? And once I knew, I knew. Yeah. Yeah. I I started my business in 2008 when the, you know, the um, economy crashed. So, you know, it's always when things happen that are bad sometimes great opportunities come out of that. Totally. And so a lot of people lost their, their biz, their, you know, they, they were uh, planners were not, pardon me, companies who had um, event teams weren't using them anymore. So they were hiring mm-hmm. people outside of that. So I started the business and I really just thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of bored. I'm not doing anything. I was, I was the director of, um, and of operations for a commercial real estate company and I did all of their events. So that was my last corporate job. And, you know, I really just dove in myself, but the biggest thing that helped me was I got a coach mm. to teach me because I had no idea how to price myself. How do I talk to the client? What should the forms look like? how should I run the business? What legal parts of my business should be set up properly? All of that. So when I got a coach, that was a big game changer. And I've had a coach all along the way, um, which I think is super important. And when I started my business, there was really nobody there to help me because a lot of planners who were successful that I reached out to, to see if they could help me felt threatened. And which I think is silly because, you, you know, Listen, nobody can, you, you got to walk in my shoes 24 seven in order to get exactly the clients. There's so much work out there. There's nobody can actually do all of it. So I always said I was going to help people and, you know, planners along the way. And then eventually it started. I've been coaching one-on-one for a long time and now I do a group, a group setup. So it's, it's great. And I love to teach and I've had many opportunities that I never thought would have, have it happen always at the times when I was more scared of everything. Right. So mm-hmm. I was afraid to speak at an event and I was so scared and I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to look like a fool and I'm not going to know. And it was great. And at that event, I ended up getting uh, someone to ask me if I would teach at NYU. So then mm-hmm. I became an adjunct professor at NYU for a few years. So you, those were things I never thought in a million years I would do. Mm-hmm. And so you just never know. And if you don't try, how are you going to know? You, I have so many people that are, you know, in my Facebook group that all of them want to start a business and they're scared. They're still working. And it's financially, it's, it's scary to go off, especially when you have a family and children and all of that. But if you don't try, you're not going to know. So 
And you, it's always like that. I don't care how many years you're in business, you're always going to have some fear along the way. And you're going to, um, you know, you just got to figure it out. You know, you just got to figure it out and keep going and keep, don't give up. That's the biggest yeah. thing not to give up. A hundred percent. And I think that it helps also to understand that, first of all, to have people in your corner. Always. Have your community. And, and I mean like family, I mean, close friends, not just the community of other entrepreneurs that can help guide you, but also people who just know you really well and yes. love you and care about you. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, even if you fail, those people will still be rooting for you. Right. And if you know that, that can really ground you in a way where the fear becomes, it doesn't go away, but it becomes, um, it's not debilitating. Right. Because you, it's not like nothing's left if you fail. Right. You're still you. You're still loved by all the people that really actually matter. That's and true. so you can move in that strength because you're not going to be stripped away and have nothing. You're going for something new. It's a cherry on top of a life that is full. Right. And if you think about it like that, I think, um, and remind yourself because it's easy to forget that. It um, is. It, it makes is. a difference. Yeah. It yeah. Really I, mean, I, I recently have had, a I had, a difficult client and it was very hard and they were not nice to us and it was very difficult and he can beat you down even with hundreds of clients that we've had that love us and have hired us over and over again and speak well of us and you know so you forget and even many 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 years in it we're human so you just have to you know it the the things that the worst things that happen along the way i've learned that um they will go away and mm -hmm. you will learn from it. So if it's a bad situation, it's not always going to stay bad. So mm -hmm. just, you know, know what you have to do. You're smart enough to, you know, everyone, you, you just figure out what's the next steps. You know, of course I, um, you know, reached out and I have a lot of support as well. Family sometimes doesn't always understand what you do, but I have <laughs> great support group of and and networking and getting into mastermind groups and people that can support you who are like-minded are really, really important. So I think that's great. It's great advice. Okay. All right. So how can an entrepreneur build a business that honors diversity and culture? That's a really big one. And I think a lot of people are thinking about that right now in virtually every single industry, mm -hmm. um, which is a really big deal for our country. And I think it's, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple things that I think that help. One, make sure you actually have the people at the table that you serve. So if you're looking for diversity and inclusion, then you have to have diversity and you got to include. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times people, you know, I've seen people do this poorly when they are looking for a consultant to be their one diverse uh, connection mm -hmm. to help them then, you know, project a message or a brand that reflects diversity. That, that has to come from within. Like anything else within your cor corporate culture, it can't happen uh, from an inauthentic place and actually work. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to look at your actual staff. You have to look at when you're doing testing on your products, is that community that you're testing your product on diverse? Because otherwise you're not actually getting feedback mm -hmm. from the people that you, you want to reach. So I think it has to be um, a top-down situation. And I think also the reality is that a lot of companies, a lot of organizations haven't done that. So that you have to recognize and come to terms with the fact that you have a decade or more 
of time where this is something you didn't prioritize and that affected people. Yeah. So you have to own that piece, um, respond to that and uh, make up for it. And I think that sometimes that looks like dramatic changes. Sometimes it looks like things that would have otherwise uh, been not on the table and in, in terms of, you know, moves you would make as a, as a leader or things your company would typically do. Mm-hmm. It's time to like shake that up and also understand that there's a tremendous amount of benefit. Obviously, you know, we talk about the benefit in terms of how people, how you, how that makes people feel to be seen and all those things like that. And that is prime. That is the most important thing to me, mm-hmm. but also there's huge economic gain as well, because ignoring a pretty heavy, a pretty large percentage of the country is not a business model for success. Yeah. That's such great advice. And I think, you know, including your employees and talking to them and, you know, having conversations about it, I think is really, really important. So I have so many different kinds of people that work with me in my company. And I, I don't see that because that's not how I am, but I, you know, when just thinking about it, like, you know, it's such a great diverse group of people and all ages and colors and sizes and all kinds of things, backgrounds. And, and I, um, I love that because, you know, it just brings a lot of creativity that I wouldn't, I can't do it all myself. You know, I can't do everything and I don't have all the ideas. So so I love that. I think it's super important. So how can an early stage startup get in front of investors and convince them to write a check? Boy, that is a huge question. <laughs> That's a good one. No big deal, uh, that question. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I, I, I'll be real. I think that this is a very difficult thing to do. Um, there are some practical things that I think make this easier. Um, if you're just getting started, an accelerator is a tremendous way um, to get in front of investors and to have support while doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was part of the Ocean Accelerator out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and they uh, were really instrumental in helping guide us, um, just helping you get, you know, take it to that next level, being prepared for investors. There is an entire um, list of administrative, simple, but very um, critical things that need to be done to actually even be able to receive a check. So part of it is one, your, your business has to be investable, which is a big thing to say. There's a lot behind that. Right. You have to actually be prepared to receive a check. And if you have not structured your business in a way that is, um, you know, really professional and also not only that, but you have record of everything and you, you, you've, you've done your homework, you've done like just the housekeeping stuff. Like really there's a lot of practical things behind it, mm-hmm. being able to receive that check. So that's a piece of it. But in terms of getting in front of them, I think accelerators are a great way to do that. Um, that's a problem. What is what's an accelerator for people oh, who don't know that? Yeah, so business accelerators, there's tons of them. There's large ones, small ones. Um, they are um, really usually a timed experience. So, you know, 12 to 16 weeks, something like that, where a business participates, they get a leadership. Uh, they also get, they also get uh, mentors that are usually attached to them. They go through a rigorous process with their business, how to get your legal together, how to get your pitch together, how to perfect your product and your sales process. And literally it's like a boot camp for businesses. That's essentially what it is. Mm-hmm. And there are a ton of them. 
that are um, in this country, some bigger and smaller, and there's different pros and cons to that. But typically at the end of this experience, there is a demo day. And at that demo day, each business presents and pitches uh, what they have to offer. And usually that is done in front of an audience of investors. Uh, it's very competitive to get into accelerators, but it's also, like I said, there's a lot of them. Yeah. So I think even if you go through a smaller accelerator, it still is worth it if you're in the early stages of your business, because the hardest part about to me, getting started in business is that you don't know what you don't know. Yes. And that scares, that scares the crap out of you, you know, because you know that you're probably forgetting something or missing something. And so if you go through an accelerator, they can't help you feel more confident with that because they'll tell you, here's the checklist. And it might be really hard for <laughs> you to actually complete that checklist. Right. Knowing it definitely eases uh, anxiety because you know where the bar is. Right. Um, so that's one. There's honestly social media. Twitter, even though it's a, a crazy place right now, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, there are investors all over the place on there. And believe it or not, hitting up DMs is a thing that actually works. Yes. Um, and then also putting yourself out there. You have to become public. You have to, whether it's in your nature or not, whether you think people would be interested in you as an individual person or not, mm -hmm. like you actually have to get out there because you represent your business. And People can come through, like the front door isn't always your business. Actually, right. a lot of times, especially right now, even for your customers, your front door is actually you. Because yeah. now people are looking for authenticity. So they actually want to know who are the people behind the business? What are they about? What's their story? And you're not going to be for everybody and that's okay. Um, but getting that out there not only will help your customers feel confident in your product and things like that, but also actually investors. They want to know who are you. And um, so that's another another really good. I don't mean to interrupt you, but another really good place is. Um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank here now. It's been a while since I've been on it, but is um, Clubhouse. So Clubhouse has um, you know groups of investors where you get like a you know three minute pitch or two minute pitch or whatever it is. And you get on and there are like four or five investors who can, you know, listen to what you're saying. And if they're interested, they'll DM you in Instagram. So it moves over to, cause it's not a, I haven't been on it in such a long time. I used to go on a lot, but you know, I can only do so many things at so many times. But the important thing is, is be visible is what you were saying is to be visible. Um, you have to put yourself out there. And so if you had any suggestions about like, what you would say if you were going to DM an investor? What do you mm. have to on that? Yeah, you got to get your elevator pitch right and make it quick. Right. Um, within that, because a DM is even shorter than a regular elevator pitch. Yeah. So right. I would say, um, you know, what is your product? Very, very one sentence. What is your product? Um, what is something that you have accomplished in recent times? So we have served this many customers. We have, um, you know, we were voted you know, top brand in L or Lure, I don't know, whatever, like right. any type of thing, like stat that, or data that shows that people are, that there's traction in your business. Right. And I think the last sentence, and literally I would just make it three sentences. The third sentence is, what do you want? So are you raising money right now? What kind of raise are you doing? Are you raising through a safe note? Are you raising through, are you getting angel investors? Like be very precise. And that's where, um, you know, that last piece is where if you're an accelerator, they will definitely help you understand all those things. But there's also 
of the resources out there. I want to also say, though, crowdfunds. So we have a crowdfund actually right now on WeFunder. We've raised over $160,000 on that from the community. That's and that's awesome. something that we really wanted to do. And this is an equity crowdfund. So people are actually getting equity in the company um, with the raise. And what that does is a couple things. One, you can actually raise from your fans, from your people you've served, from your yes. friends or family, which is a big deal. You can also, but unlike, you know, let's say a Kickstarter or something, they're actually now now literally invested in your company and so they're going to be really great champions for you because they if you win they win and they know that so they'll promote what you have they'll repost your stuff they'll get the word out for you so it's a really um and that's only been around for a few years so that one's um a big deal and so how do they find your crowdfund um it's on wefunder.com forward slash crown hunt crown hunt and so what's the best way for startups to succeed through that? Because that was, uh, I know, I know a lot of people who've done it and raised a lot of money. So what do you suggest? What are your suggestions for that? Um, I mean, a few things I would suggest is start the raise before you make it public. That's a big deal. Okay. Nobody wants to be the first one that puts money into that. Yeah. It's really good to start that with your friends and family who know you well, who are investing because they believe in you and they have a personal relationship with you. Okay. It's real important to do that before you actually publicly launch it, like to your email list or to your social, or even if you have ads going to it, because right. that way it shows people when people go there, they're like, oh, there's, there's people who believe in this. There's momentum. Mm -hmm. I think also if you can get a few larger name investors, and when I say larger name, th that is, um, there's levels to that, right? So there's going to be a level that you can achieve. Don't compare it to what anybody else can achieve. If you know another uh, business owner or investor that um, is excited about your business, being able to promote that they invested in that business is a big deal and it will give other people confidence. And then I think the third thing is just don't stop posting about it. During the whole time your campaign is open, give testimonials, have people who've invested in your company share their videos of why they invested. Like it's an entire marketing campaign into itself right. even if you aren't running ads. So just putting it out there is not enough. Like you have to manage that campaign. Yeah, no, it takes work, but you know, the payoff is always good. So for sure. So why is hair such a big deal, particularly textured hair? Yeah, I mean, I think just on a practical level, no matter who is listening, I think we can understand how personal hair is, right? And an example would be if, you know, if you've ever had a horrible hair dye situation. That's like a lighthearted version of the of it, you know, like where you just you have to fix it before you go back out. Yeah. It's, you cannot go out like this, right? It's personal, it's part of your identity. Or even on, you know, another side, if you've ever had to go through chemo or something like that and you've lost your hair, you know, it's a really it's it's a big deal. Like how you it's a part of how you present yourself, how you feel about yourself. So I'm saying that to kind of level and get everybody on the same playing field. Right. Now imagine having a hair texture that for a lot of reasons, historical and otherwise, that hair texture, literally the hair that grows out of your head is considered unprofessional, is considered unattractive. Um, you know, and in some cases, people are even, you know, afraid maybe even of how you how you look. You know, they might think that yeah. you seem threatening in some kind of way. And all of those things 
have happened, are, have, are continuing to happen in a lot of communities. But what's beautiful right now is that that's being rejected. Mm. And so I think it's similar to, in this country, there's been a huge cultural shift, I think, towards natural and embracing your natural self, right? You're mm -hmm. seeing stretch marks on ads. You're mm -hmm. seeing curvy models walk down the runway. I think hair is just a part of that same movement where people are saying, you know what? I like this about myself actually. And so even though there may be risk to me presenting myself this way, I'm going to do it first and foremost because it makes me healthier mm -hmm. and happier. Mm -hmm. But then also because society should, should also want for us to be able to do this. It creates a healthier culture. Um, and so it's a big deal because of that. It's also been very heavily politicized. There's a, um, the Crown Act is a perfect example of how, just how political it is. The Crown Act um, has been passed in, I think 17 or 18 different states now. And what it does, it protects people from discrimination in the workplace or in school based on their hair texture. Mm -hmm. And that it's shocking to some people when they hear that something like that would be necessary, but it has been because there's kids who've been sent home from school uh, because they had braids or an Afro. Um, there's been people who have been rejected from jobs because they have locks in their hair. And um, these things are culturally yeah. nor normal. Right. And they're also um, natural. And yeah. so if I have to chemically straighten my hair or I have to spend an hour and a half straightening my hair every day in order to have a job, that's obviously not a society that is um, fair to everybody and it's not good. Yeah. So, uh, for these reasons, hair is a huge deal uh, because it's funny because I think sometimes the people with the textured hair seem like they're the ones who've made hair a big deal, but it's actually the society around us has made it a big deal because now I have to think so much about my hair before I go somewhere just to make sure that I'll receive the treatment that I deserve. And so, yeah. um, yeah, it's a pretty big deal, but it's also fun. And I say that because it can feel a little overwhelming sometimes how big of a deal it is, but it's yeah. Fun. Like I wear my hair straight. I wear my hair curly. I put extensions in my hair. And I'm saying all that because it can feel like sometimes when I uh, talk to people that I'm this like only hair has got to be this way. No, hair should be whatever way you want it to be. That's right. Right. Well, many who know me, this is what my hair has been my whole life. I'm very <laughs> I'm very blessed. I've never colored my hair, so I can't relate to any of that, which is insane. But um, but I have very curly hair when it's not blown out and rolled like this is a hot roller set going on here. Mm -hmm. But I have, you know, very it's curly. Gorgeous. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I am blessed and I know that it's it's great. But honestly, you were saying about wearing it different ways and doing it, you know, I can't, there's really like not many ways I can do, I never color it. So I keep it that way, which I should, I should never color it. It's, I know that it's nice, but you know, it's, it's kind of boring after a while. <laughs> it bores me. You know, I guess I could throw a wig on, but it's too hot. And I don't, you know what? I have many girlfriends who every time I see them who have hair like yours and uh, they're always wearing something different and their hair is a different color every time I see them or a different shape or a different style. And mm -hmm. I'm just like, I never know what I'm going to get, but they are fantastic. And it's, you know, it's a, but I can't imagine it's a lot of work. And so, and it kind of makes me sad at, you know, when you were talking earlier about this, um, the discrimination against it and the kids being sent home, that really makes me sad because 
I mean, come on, you know, as long I don't, I can't imagine being judged like that. I just can't imagine. And having that happen to you as a kid too, you like have no context for it's it. Horrible. It's horrible happening. So there's a lot that happens psychologically in a yeah. in a situation like that. Um, but you know, I think that it's it's really shocking how much control has been exerted over people uh, yeah. in order to make other people feel comfortable. Like it's ridiculous. But what I think is great is that there's change happening, and um, I am passionate about making people feel empowered to be who they are. It's why I have this silly office, you know? <laughs> I love it. Neon lights and like, actually, I'll just show this to you. Yeah. A unicorn that sits that me. And like, there's like a cupcake that normally hangs in here that is not hanging. <laughs> and it's just like, that's me. You know, yeah. I really feel like people should be able to express themselves and to be yeah. who they are, especially yeah. if they have, uh, valuable contributions that they're trying to make to our society at the same time. Let people be who they are. I couldn't agree more. I totally agree with you. Okay. So what is happening nationally around textured hair? You yeah. may have touched on this, but let's talk Yeah, about I touched on it a little bit. I think the Crown Act is a really um, important thing to bring up because it is significant legislation that's changing the game. I also think uh, it would be worth mentioning in the state of Louisiana this July, uh, they are actually the first state to require cosmetology schools to teach all textures of hair. So this is actually pretty deep. That's so we're talking about people getting sent home from school. We're talking about people getting rejected from jobs. But then like on another practical level, if you have hair like mine right now in this country, you cannot go to any salon. It's not a thing. You can't do it. That's amazing. You have to go to specific salons um, with people who are primarily self-taught because cosmetology schools up until 2020 did not teach how to style textured or curly hair almost at all. Right. So um, Louisiana is paving the way uh, by making that a requirement so that people who, when they finish cosmetology school, actually are capable and have been trained to serve every member in their community. And that should be the standard. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So why is the beauty industry's tendency to ignore people with textured hair such a mistake? It kind of ties into that, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, our country has a history of ignoring lots of different types of people Yeah. Um, for a lot of layered reasons, um, you know, a lot of layered reasons. But I think that when you look at the structure of the organizations in our country, they have never really been diverse in the first place. It kind of ties back to the original earlier question that you asked about how do you create a, a company that actually includes people and is diverse? Well, that actually is the requirement to ever consider that your product or your service could serve these communities. Because if you're not part of those communities, especially if you don't even know anybody in them, right. how do you know what the needs are? When you're creating a company or a product, you you always start with the problem. Mm -hmm. You always start with the problem. And if your problem has only considered um, certain people, then you've never thought of a solution for everybody else. Right. And so right. I think that that's a huge part of the why. I think also just from like a simple level, it was easy to get everybody to want the same hairstyle, hair texture. If you're creating a product company, yeah. it's very convenient if everyone's hair is straight. Yeah. It's boring. Make one set of shampoo, conditioner, whatever, right? It's boring, you know? yeah. <laughs> That's boring. So it's funny. I remember this story. 
when I had a, I was working in film and television for many years when I lived in Los Angeles and I worked for this um, writers and artists agency, which is one of the big talent agencies. And I worked in the legal area of it. And the CE, the owner of the company was like this very old woman. She was like 75 years old and she was still running the company and she barely did anything because she was so old, but not that that age is old, but she was, she was not well, she was old and all of that. And she was very set in her old fashioned ways. And this was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had really, like my hair was even twice as long as this. So it was like down to, and she wanted me to wear a hairnet in the office. I wasn't serving food. It was a regular office. And she was like, you're going to have to wear a hairnet. And I was like, I am not wearing a hairnet. And she was a little crazy. And I think, you know, I was a little sassy, <laughs> that sassy word that you said earlier about it. But I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to work here if that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And she warmed up to me after a while. But can you imagine, like, I just remember that experience of having to think about wearing a hair. Can you imagine me walking around the office? In a hair? <laughs> I mean, I could see for food, but that's not going to happen. So I'm, I want to just for you to tell people about what you're doing in your business and how you're making changes and how they can, you know, what's something that you're promoting or offering or something to our, our listeners out there. And I just want to learn more so they can hear about what you're doing in your business. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about Crown Hunt in terms of the vision and then also in the specific. In terms of the vision, I mean, we're really, Crown Hunt is modernizing the curly hair experience in and behind the chair. Um, and we're doing that with technology, content, and data. That's a big thing to say. So what does that practically look like right now? Right now, we're an online subscription and community for hairstylists that serve curly hair clients. So we're starting with education, connecting these stylists with the education that's been missing. And it is curly hair, but also business and marketing, because those are things that have actually also been um, not given enough during the cosmetology school experience. Mm -hmm. So uh, for a stylist that's interested in uh, joining our platform and uh, subscribing to this, you can do that at crownhunt.io. Um, but then I think also we are after a large uh, mission here, which is to really challenge this idea uh, that there's a hierarchy of hair texture and that only certain people can have access to um, quality hair care. We're also really passionate right now about investing in these hair entrepreneurs. Um, like I said, primarily these people have been self-taught who are doing curly and coily hair right now. And yeah. that to me is something that uh, I have so much respect for. I think that the hairstylists are some of the most industrious entrepreneurs in our community because they have the least amount of resources and they continue to thrive. Mm -hmm. And then in 2020, we learned that we all as citizens thought and saw them as, um, you know, essential workers. So it's funny how that works. Yeah. So we're going to empower these folks. So that's what the subscription is right now. Um, you know, we're looking to in the city of Denver, which is where we're based, actually connect uh, consumers with those educated stylists. So that's just the beginning of us looking to really get this entire industry on a single platform and make every interaction within hair a better experience because of it. I love that. That's so awesome. How can everybody find you? I know you gave crownhunt.io, crown but mm -hmm. I know you're on social media and all of that. So how can everybody find you? Yeah. So you can find me personally at, at Stephanie LaFlora, which is my name. 
Um, that is my Instagram. On Instagram, that's where I pro that's where I spend my, all my time. Um, so you can follow me on there. I post about hair. I post about culture a lot. Um, and I try to have a you got lots of dancing on there, which I, I love. Dancing. <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to have fun. I'm very serious. I love that. Uh, yeah. And then you can also follow Crown Hunt on Instagram as well at Crown Hunt. And there will be tips for stylists on how to care for coils and, and hair um, and also things about the industry at large and, and what's happening, what's trending there. That's awesome. Well, it's been so fun talking to you. I love what you're doing. I love people making a difference. And um, I'm so excited that you were here. Thank you for taking the time. It's been really thank you fun. For having me. I yes, appreciate you're so you. welcome. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, again, if you're interested and want to be on, it's pretty simple. We just kind of chat. It's not that, you know, we're not too serious here. We want to just have a good time. Please reach out to us. Love to have you. And if you're an event planner or wedding planner and want to have some uh, tips on how to start your business, join us over at the Event Planner Society. We'd love to have you over there. See you guys. Have a fantastic day. Talk to you soon. Bye.